Okay, welcome listeners to another episode of Roll Will Die. You are in for a treat today because we have one of the forefathers, one of the founding fathers of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Australia. Also my first coach, uh, awarded me my blue and purple belts, Mr. Peter Debean. Thanks for joining us. Hello guys, how are you going? Going really well, mate. How you been? What's life like down on the uh, surf coast at this time of year with uh, all these covid things happening? Yeah, there's a lot of infections at the moment because a lot of the uh, you know, uh, people on holidays are going crazy. Uh, Torquay is probably about as infected as you can get, but maybe that's a good thing once it's, uh, once everyone gets infected. I think we'll probably be okay, I hope. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. That's it. Now, it's been a big week for you as well, Pete. Um, you awarded Kobe, your daughter, her purple belt this week. Uh, no, she's had purple for a while. Oh, has she? Oh, I don't know. It just yeah. sort of came up on my social media. So, so you've got for any listeners that don't know, uh, your son Max yeah. is a black belt, yeah. and Kobe's purple belt. So, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. What it's like being a, a father and a coach to two uh, uh, pretty high level uh, athletes. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty good. Um, uh, Max is actually leaving tomorrow morning to back to New York, so he's been in New York. On and off for two years now, but came back to have shoulder surgery, and he's had that and everything, and done all the rehab. So he's going back tomorrow. So that's pretty exciting. Um, is, that, is, is that because the Australian medical system is so much better? Oh, I'm cutting. <laughs> is that because the Australian medical system? Is, is that because the Australian medical system is so much better, or? Is, <laughs> Uh, we've got a we've got a, a good surgeon here that we like to use, and he looks after us. And um, I think the quote Max had in New York was 50k control wow. operations. So said better to come back, even though it's um, all locked down and everything. Come back, and we'll get the rehab done because we've got good rehab people here as well. Um, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. His last his last uh, strength conditioning session yesterday. They said he's like 95 plus. So that should be pretty good. Wow. So what happened? Uh, what happened to Max? I uh, had a, um, a near circumferential labrum labrum tear. So like nearly all the way around sort of thing. Wow. So he, he was still competing with it, uh, even under instructions not to. And uh, eventually, I think the last one he competed was the Atlanta Open. So, and then... Um, <clears throat> Decided to come back, uh, miss the rest of the year, and get that fixed up, ready for this year. So he'll be he'll be fighting in Rome in the Europeans in February. So that'll be his first one. Mm. Wow! Yeah, that's wow. obviously he doesn't but, have uh, his dad's his dad's shoulder physique and arm physique because the, like the first thing that I notice about you whenever I see you is like there's shoulders and arms coming at me. You know, it's like there's something about you, mate. It's just are all arms <laughs> I think over a few years Anton it just keeps adding on so I have an advantage because I'm older I guess <laughs> but Max, Max is that, is it, do you have to inject something to have arms this big or is it like do you, do you just uh, do a lot of weights uh, uh, I, I do I do a lot of chin-ups right and um, as you know chin-ups are probably people say it's good for your back and everything, but you know, the arms don't get away doing nothing with chin ups. So Yeah, right. You know, you know, I, I never really get a sore back from doing chin ups. I have to stop when my arms get sore. 
Yeah, wow. So uh, it's more of an arm workout and shoulder workout than what people think, I reckon. So maybe that's what, what it is. I've been doing does, it for years. Pete, what does your strength and conditioning workout look like? What What's an average kind of week for you? What What would you do besides jiu-jitsu? Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a real um, row, uh, indoor rower ergo fanatic. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. So I hit that pretty hard. Um, and I find that that's the, probably the closest bit of fitness machinery that you can get to, uh, you know, to uh, be equal to jiu-jitsu. So like the legs and the arm, you know, and everything sort of going. So, you know, stationary bike and running and all those things are all okay. But I find that the, the ergo is probably the best for uh, jiu-jitsu. So I do a lot of that. And then my chins and push-ups, I do a lot of those. Mm, not really lift any weights. You just really you don't lift weights at all. No, actually, um, uh, Max and Kobe gave me a twenty kilo um, weight vest, so I've been actually doing chin with that. So that is kind of weights, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Well, but not a bar, not a dumbbell, no, not, not the really. traditional. Really? No, because I find that um, I find that uh, probably the the nerve the nervous system. It's not really, it's almost working against jiu-jitsu by doing weights like that. Yeah. I mean, if you have to put on weight, dramatic weight, you'd probably go into the weights, but I think weights can be a bit detrimental to jiu-jitsu. I think, you know, body weight exercises are a far better way to go. Interesting. And also for injury prevention, you don't think it matters to not do weight training? Uh, <clears throat> I think we've got most going to get more injured doing weight training with weights. I think if you're doing, um, like, for example, we talk about chins, um, you're going to be working for ancillary muscles that you, it's hard to mimic in the gym. Mm. So most people go bed, press, squats, deadlifts, and that's all okay. Uh, but it's all the little angles and that, that you don't get covered by doing weights, but you can get covered by doing body weight exercises. And also I believe that, the best possible strength for jiu-jitsu is a strength to weight ratio. Mm. So rather than have absolute strength, which is you talk to most people and say, what do you bench? And you go, oh. so they're all talking about doing an absolute um, weight, whereas I'm more into relative strength rather than absolute strength. So I think if you can be as strong as you can for your, for your weight, that's probably the best thing for jiu-jitsu. Yeah. What would you like? like you've done this for a long time, obviously. You can just tell by your body. Like, I, I can ask how old you are. Is that <clears throat> how old are you? Uh, I turned 60 last, uh, last September. Yeah, you look amazing, man. So, um, you must be in a great routine. And then to be like, do you go through waves where you get demotivated and you stop, or have you managed to maintain a routine? And if you have maintained a routine, how do you stay motivated? Uh, I'm a real self-trainer. When I talk about ancillary training, I'm a real self-trainer. A lot of people say, oh, let's go do this together and we'll motivate each other. But I find I do worse in those conditions. So I'm very good at self-motivation. And I set goals and PBs for myself and um, I, I achieve, try to achieve that myself. So I'm always working to better myself from within rather than uh, externally looking at what other people are doing. Mm, I love that. I've, I've so, got PEs in, 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 in perhaps like, you know, let's say 50 plus chin-up drills where I know all the times and everything and I might 
go from one to the other. And after three or four weeks, when I get it, if I if and when I get a PB, I'll shift back to something else. Three or four weeks, and then try and get a PB in that, and shift back to something else. So, in my head, I'm I'm already knowing what I need to achieve. Yeah, amazing. But these lockdowns of the last two years haven't really affected your training that much. No, not me. No. That's wow, amazing. that's great. Oh, I've got my I've got my rower in my land room. <clears throat> Wow. So I have to walk around my rower to get to the TV, so it's always there. So it's, you know, so a bit of a love-hate relationship, but yeah, it's, it's in my land room, so it's, you know, it doesn't worry me too much. <laughs> what does your wife think about that? <laughs> she like, get this rower out of here. <laughs> yeah. It's a real, real love-hate thing, the rower. Yeah. And uh, so, Pete, I'd be doing a disservice to our listeners not to uh, ask your your story, like your beginning of, of Jiu-Jitsu and um, how you discovered it. I mean, there is the the argument or the the story that you've brought Jiu-Jitsu to Australia and then there's also, on the other hand, I guess there's a theory that John Will did it. So what's Ooh. what's your background of it? How did it how did it start for you? Um, well, I was I was training with John Will doing um, started off doing select and then uh, it changed into shoot boxing and then shoot fighting. Um, and then at that time, uh, I went travelled to Brazil. <clears throat> Nineteen ninety would have been with John, mm-hmm. and I guess we just saw different things. Um, uh, in looking back now, I think he saw some things that opportunities that he could bring some techniques into his shoot fighting. Whereas I just, so I just thought to myself, I'm never throwing a punch. I'm never doing anything ever again. I'm doing this. Mm. So, um, yeah, so, uh, he didn't go back to Brazil after that. He was sort of started going to the U S mm-hmm. I kept on um, there was a couple of incidents in Brazil when we were there, and I I wasn't treated the best in the in the first few years. I think like by nineteen ninety, um, I was sort of like uh, you know getting looked after there, um, and that's when um, uh, uh, you know you need to stop doing your shoot fighting. You need to go and just do jiu-jitsu and I said well there's no one in Australia doing jiu-jitsu and he said that's why you have to start it so uh, I started teaching in my garage at Torquay and that became Australia's first jiu-jitsu academy and it grew and grew we went to Melbourne in 1996 because there was people coming down from Melbourne to train uh, to Torquay academies been going all that time and then I think in around 1998 um, uh, John will say well we're doing jiu-jitsu too now and I said, yeah, it's okay. But, um, there was people doing it for the time that he was labelling himself as jiu-jitsu. That's amazing. So, um, so you're telling me, this is amazing, that jiu-jitsu, yeah, jiu-jitsu in Australia originated in Torquay, Victoria of all places. That's so cool. Yeah. Is yeah, it's, it's different, isn't it? It's- um, and it was just the way... Wait, sort of panned out, I guess. Um, and uh, you know, if if I never went to Brazil in '90 with John Will, it may not have happened. But um, I mean, as you know, things happen, and then they sort of morph and change. You're not sure how how, how you couldn't have predicted how it's going to change. It just changes. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, Carlos said, uh, you know, you need to create federation. So 
1994. So when I got back in 1994, October, we, we incorporated the AFBDOJ. Mm-hmm. So that was the first federation outside of Brazil. So Australia was actually, you know, there was no federation in the US at that time. So the AFBJJ has been around for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah sure has. October 4th. What, so yeah. Coming up, what's that? What's been your experience of having the federation, setting up the federation, having the federation? Like, I know that it's, big, it's a big responsibility. There's a lot of people... There's a lot of opinions. Like I get that it's good and bad, you know. I'm, I get it's, it's so much. Like it's the whole scene. What What is your relationship with that whole project? Are you, yeah, talk a bit about that. Uh, well, I'm I'm the the president. Yeah. Um, and we have a, a management committee. Uh, but but basically, and I think in hindsight has worked out right. Um, it has been there's been a lot of people over the years saying you know we need to have you know, an open forum and we need to have, you know, people on there and different presidents. And, but what happens, I really just always take my lead from Carlos and the IBJJF. And I think no one's going to say that the IBJJF haven't done a wonderful job for Jiu-Jitsu worldwide. Mm. I love, would like to think the AFBJ has done a similar role in Australia. Yeah. Um, kept Jiu-Jitsu growing. And if you look now, we have, I think we've got 42 competitions listed this year. For 2022, yeah. mm. uh, so uh, and they all run nicely. Uh, it's got the ranking system. I think it's uh, I think it's been a success. Mm. And if it had been sort of diluted and argued and fought about, I think it could have been a really big mess. Yes, absolutely, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Enemies out there. It's not in here. You know, it's like that. That's the thing. Like we don't want infighting. We want to just focus on putting on great events. And have, yeah. having great rule sets that protect people. This is what I imagine goes on, right? But if there's too many yeah. people arguing, then things just get yeah. slowed down and stopped and bogged down and all of that sort of yeah. stuff. And so the best interests uh, of jiu-jitsu in Australia, I think, and probably people say it's not true, but I think we've actually catered for the best interests of jiu-jitsu in Australia. And I think that jiu-jitsu is in Australia at the moment is probably due not tough, but to the AFBAJ in, in a lot of ways. And um, uh, I think by having that from the very early beginnings and monitoring it, and we've had you know, issues, as you know, Anton's all always little issues to overcome, but yeah. I think it's put you right in a good place worldwide. Yeah, yeah so, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And Pete, going back to what you were saying about your early days, you sort of glossed over. Could you expand on some of those things that, that happened that you said were not very nice? Was that as a non-Brazilian in Brazil on the mats or was that off the mats or what? Well, uh, I I didn't see any non-Brazilians coming to Brazil until probably, um, probably 96, Mm -hmm. one or two, maybe 97 and a few more. So Mm -hmm. probably from 1990 to 1996, uh, I never saw another non-Brazilian training there. And I don't believe there were any there. We just sort of hear about it. Um, so at first, there's, you know, it was funny to see that de- that development at that time. Um, uh, yeah, looking back now, it's very interesting because uh, they were very unprotective of their, of their sport. But at the same time, they were... Uh, very proud of it and very protective 
same way in, in a different way. Mm. So, you know, it was like, uh, yeah, we got this guy, this guy's okay, and it was, um, it, it was a bit of them trying to prove in the early days that, you know, they were good at their sport and it's their sport and you are an outsider. Um, and then sort of eventually started to say, no, no, he's okay, he's okay, and start, things were changing. Um, so, but Jiu-Jitsu was very, very different in those days. Mm. Um, uh, very different. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I've just finished reading that Gracie book um, and uh, the Breathe book, and it's just amazing. It kind of gave me so much insight, but I, I really get that in the start, it was not a, it was not a fun sport. It was, it was a like a full-on self-defense and the, all the Bellatudo stuff and everything else. Like, like, it really was a kind of a sink or swim environment. And that yeah. actually brings me to, Kim often reflects on like training in your gym and how, like she's an absolute killer, right? But the thing is, she talks about how in your club, there's not so much focus on technique. It's a lot of rolling. It's a lot of like live training. And is that something that you got from being over there? Is that like the, the culture of your club and is it still that way? Yep. Yeah, um, and we probably still do things pretty similar. Just, yeah, maybe... Yeah, pretty similar. Might have changed a little bit, but not too much. Um, like, uh, I remember when um, Hodge Grace, he was a good friend of mine, you know, like he was one of the instrumental in Brazil when I was starting there. He was like 14, 15. And so I've known him for quite a while. He was saying to me that um, he got a question at one of his seminars and it said, um, like, um, um, oh, what do you get drilling? And he said, uh, drilling. What do you mean drilling? He goes, the guy, you know, drilling, drilling. And he goes, I drill when I train. Yeah. <laughs> so, Interesting. Yeah. That's, and if you think, that's what training is. Yeah. You might say, oh, I want to work on my, um, my butterfly guard, you know, for the next couple of weeks. You're actually drilling your butterfly training. You know, the idea of people pairing up and going through like a fictitious drill session with no, resistance or anything is not really part of what I was brought up with. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's not what I do. You know what? I, I need to actually feel the result. Yeah, I drill when I train. That's a that's a, an amazing quote. Yeah. That's- yeah. And, he, um, he almost made it sound like he was confused, but I think he knew what the guy was talking about, but he made it confused, made it seem like he was confused drilling. You mean training, drilling? I'm not sure. What do you mean? It was a bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A lot of people um, do drilling. Oh, I want this. Do it a hundred times and do this a hundred times. And you go, but there's no resistance. It's never going to happen that way. Yeah. 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 And Pete, Anton mentioned too about self-defense. So I guess, um, and you talked about the um, the inception and, and the AFBJJ and the IBJJF. So I guess there is a little bit more sport focused. How do you see jiu-jitsu kind of marrying up between like the origins of the self-defense versus it being for a sport? Uh, I can't say I ever did self-defense, Kim, to be honest. No, no. So you, 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 you know, like you have the opinion, like it it started kind of as a self-defense thing and then um, it still has that, but you don't really think that's necessary now in training that side of things or what, what are your thoughts around the self-defense side? Yeah, I think self-defense is great because competition is probably only for 5 or 10% of us. 
Um, you know, people say, oh, you know, everyone competes, but not everyone competes. Worldwide, there'd be, if there was more than 20% of people who who competed, I'd be shocked. Mm. So um, most people don't compete. So they're doing it for whatever reasons they want to do it for. Yeah. Um, and then the people who will take it to the next level will compete. <clears throat> and competition is good because, you know, it teaches us to get out of our comfort zone, as you know. And um, not only that, it'll show us techniques that we have been doing in training. They may not work in competition under severe pressure. That's one of the reasons why I'm not too much into drilling because when people compete, there's no drilling going on. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that uh, the competition is very important for um, you know letting us see what works and does not work, or, or how we need to fix things. Yeah. Uh, I think that with the um, with with jujitsu, it's uh, it's always evolving technically, and a lot of people might think this is it. This is the new jujitsu, and you go. Oh, there's you know, mate, there's no new jujitsu. Yeah, um, a little slant that might change a little bit, and then it might go away and come back. I remember there was a friend of mine, um, um, Roberta Magalhaes. His nickname is Holetta, and I think he won the absolute black belt in '97. Could be wrong. World Championships '97, '98. So it is a long time ago. But anyway. Uh, he would just beat everyone in the academy and he, he obviously beat everyone at the competition and he had the inverted guard that no one could ever do anything with. Uh, shorter torso, uh, longer legs, about six foot two. He's living in, in London, teaching in London now. But uh, he would invert and he would just, no one could do anything about it. He'd just come underneath, invert, and over they go on the biggest people. Until someone, I think it might have been the year after he won in the absolute final, when he was inverting, just went bang and uh, toehold footlocked him. <laughs> so and he had all the like, current fashionable stuff. Yeah, in the inverted guard finished. You know, it's, that's the end of the inverted guard, it's finished. You know? yeah. But then, yeah. you know, as you know, it's come back a bit again and it'll disappear again. And, you know, footlocks uh, were, were really big a little while ago. I think they've dropped off a little bit. Um, it seems like 50-50 and Barambolo has had its day for the time being and is going on a bit of a wane now, uh, but that doesn't mean it can't come back again. Yeah. So um, we, you have to be aware, and I suppose I have the advantage of being involved for quite a long time, that I've seen those things come and go in popularity. Mm. So therefore, I know what to expect a little bit more in the future than what someone who's just started would. Mm. But someone just starting to at a particular time, if they weren't... Um, spoke to correctly, they could believe that that was jiu-jitsu and then get a little bit shocked when it started to change a bit. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. So people in jiu-jitsu should be aware that in their time, if they stick around for long enough, it's going to go through fashionable cycles and they need to move with the times or get left behind. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was probably in the, um, I think, 2019, uh, John Little Taylor, uh, he won the uh, the featherweight uh, world championships black belt, and he just sort of went down, took people down, smashed pass, and won. Right. And everyone was Aaron Bowler fifty fifties finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then this year he lost, so he's sort of going to go. Uh, it's hard to say, you know. But it's 
that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu. There's so many facets to it that it's very, um, it's just enthralling because anything can happen. So it's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I and um, you, you've got your, um, you're in front of your competition uh, hall behind you, I guess. So you, your team is certainly very successful uh, competitors by the look of it. Mm-hmm. Um, would would you would you sort of have any advice for people that maybe are not competing? Like you mentioned, it's probably eighty percent of, of people doing jujitsu don't compete much, who maybe struggle sometimes with motivation. Because it sounds like you don't have any issues with your motivation. What advice would you give to people who, you know, we we ebb and flow. I've been doing it for twelve years, so I know there's times when it it's hard to sort of, but you you put. You one foot in front of the other, you get you pack your bag, you get to training, and then you feel better. But any advice for people that maybe can't even get to training that, that struggle with motivation? Yeah, that's thought of that before. Um, but I think because uh, I think one of the reasons why I'm sort of always motivated is because maybe when I was born, I'm not sure, but um, I doesn't matter what I do, I always want to try and improve myself. So when I get tradesmen around the house doing things, you know, I can annoy the hell out of them because if it's a spark up there, I'll be there going, well, why are you doing this while here? Because I'm always trying to learn things, you know, I've had Sparky say, can you just let me do my job? And they go, oh, okay, sorry about that. So I like to get involved and to learn things and better myself. Um, so that's where I get my motivation from. But people who don't have that uh, probably – competing would be good because what they can do is they can actually get external um, recognition for what they're doing uh, and therefore that can carry them along a bit as well. So some people will need competition to keep them motivated and mm. others don't. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I've got a question. We've never asked it of a guest, but it just came to me. And that is, you know, someone who's been around as long as you, and especially with jiu-jitsu's reputation in the beginning because it wasn't just a sport, have you ever actually had to use jiu-jitsu in a fight? Have you ever been, like, I've never actually been in a street fight. I've been beaten up a couple of times when I was younger, but I have yeah. not actually been in a fight since I've had jiu-jitsu skills, and I reckon I could talk my way out of it in any situation. But have you ever actually had to use jiu-jitsu? Yeah, yeah I have. So, uh, it, it, it's very simple because it's almost like uh, watching something happen in slow motion. Right. Most people are, you know, in a fight, they get very uh, stressed, very uh, adrenaline everywhere. So they're just doing stupid things. So it's very, it's, and competition might help that, Kim, as well, to remain a little bit calmer. But yeah, the situations that I've been in, of, um, I don't know if you know, I had one down here in the alleyway, Kim, maybe you remember, on Paul Lay that time, do you remember? No, tell us, tell, can you want to share with, with our audience? Well, yeah, it wasn't a very good incident, but anyway, um, we were coming back from the coffee and someone was in the back of Paul's car trying to steal Paul's car. Wow. So he, he jumped in through the, in through the back window because it was a wagon uh, SUV, jumped in the back and tried to grab the guy who was in the front who was trying to hotwire it. And then the guy turned around with the screwdriver and started stabbing Paul in the head. So Whoa. he had blood coming out top through his eyebrow and through his head was actually squirting. So he got out and got his gi that was holding his down because the little blood was coming out. Jeez. And then I'm sort of going, what the hell is going on? What happened so quick? And then before I knew it, this other guy grabbed me and put it up against the wall. And he was, I don't know, about, he was tall, maybe 6'5", but only about 90-something kilos. 
and I couldn't get off the wall. So I'm thinking, this is no, I can't get off the wall when he's trying to punch me. Eventually, I got him over the over the uh, the handrail and bent his back over the handrail. This year, and then flicked him over the blue stones off the handrail wow. and held him down there for eight. He was trying to hit me, even trying to bite me. And he's I won't I won't say what his breath smelled like, but it wasn't good. Yeah, his eyes were that big. Wow. And so when when the police they said okay, let him up, and there was a lady. In a, in a police uniform, she goes, let him up, let him up. And I go, I don't know, let him up. And she goes, let him up, just get him, let him up. And I go, okay, so I let him up. And he starts throwing these cops around everywhere. They tried to give him the back of the van. He's just gone like this on the back doors like this here. And they're falling over and their hat's coming off and slipping over. And oh so Jitsu was quite quick. But they said, they said, yeah, he's super strong because he's iced up to the eyeballs. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah, so there's a power of restraint. You were able to hold yeah. someone down who two cops couldn't handle. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it must um, have been high. What's that, Kim? It must have been high to do it outside of Jiu Jitsu Academy. So, like, the car was parked there outside of Jiu Jitsu School. No way, I, was wearing, I was wearing holes in the bluestone. I had my keys and my stuff. So it was a bit messy, but I, I spun his arm around 360 degrees and um, he just looked at me and didn't even care. And then when I told the cop, the cop goes, yeah, that, that, that he wouldn't feel anything, but tomorrow he'll be really sore. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I kind of am glad I asked that question and I'm kind of regretting it, but what a story. <laughs> full on. And thank you for sharing it. It's like, that's not a fun incident, but that is the power yeah. of jiu-jitsu, I guess. It is amazing for like immobilizing people in a situation. and Yeah. They must restrain like that guy. Uh, you could punch him in the head as much as you want, and all you're going to do is get massive infections in your hand, and yeah. he'd probably laugh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, I can't see the point in actually trying to hit him and punch him. No, so, no, good for that. Yeah, good stuff. So, self defense, we don't train a lot of self defense as per se, uh, but we actually, I believe that self defense comes naturally after training jiu jitsu. Mm. Yeah. So, you, you probably had a great self-defense now yeah. compared to what you had before you I'm sure. 100%. I feel very confident. I could handle myself. In fact, I think that gives me yeah. even more confidence to talk my way out of any situation. But, you know, I haven't dealt with someone trying to rob my car yet, so we'll see what happens in that situation. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we're actually, we're getting close to um, being out of time, I think, aren't we? So I don't know if you have any um, final parting words of wisdom that you wanted to share. Pete, with our listeners, we honoured to have think, you on. It's uh, it's taken us a while, but we finally got you. Mm. Yeah, it's good. I think basically to someone starting out into and someone who's been doing it for a little while, just keep an open mind on um, what can happen in techniques. Um, and what I always try and do is always try and improve the techniques I know and develop new techniques as well. And that's why I've remained so interested because. I'm not going over the same old stuff. I'm always trying to do something new and different. So it's exciting and learning for me to do that. Um, so you can just look at people training and you can think, oh, you know, we should do more work here because there's angles that are not, not creating. So it's very interesting rather than going through the, the textbook drills. So that'd be my advice. To- Brilliant. Yeah. But do you think that things might come back? You were saying earlier, things will come back around again. Like um, for instance, 
closed guard was very fashionable, however, you know, X number of years ago. Do you think that'll come back around again? Or um, like you mentioned about the inverted guard and things like that? From memory, uh, Jamil Taylor in uh, 19 in the in the featherweight worlds, I think he won one or two fights with closed guard. Mm. So, and that's that's what that's that's uh, featherweight. So they're they're the guys who would predominantly for the five years early would say closed guard doesn't exist for them. And um, Max has got an extraordinarily good closed guard, and it's a weapon that you can actually pull out when you can get it. Sometimes you can't get it, but if you can get it and you have a good one, like if Max gets closed guard, it's pretty close to the end of the fight. He can't always get it, but if he does get it, he knows that's there. So it's a good thing to have in the tank just in, just in case, you know, you can use it. Um, he's, he's been to, like, when he went to um, uh, train to Miami for a little while and then he was uh, at Hanzo's. And what he found was that a lot of people have a lot of struggles in his close guard. So that would mean to me that... It's not really spending a lot of time teaching how closed guard works. So these people might be difficult to get into closed guard, but if you do, they just panic. So there's a place for everything. Mm. I think the same would be said of your closed guard too, Pete. I do believe Max has a very similar style to well, yours with his closed guard. Yeah, I think Max is Max is Max is probably better closed guard than mine. I think he's he's pretty much modelled on me a little bit, but also a Hodges. So he's got a very similar. If you look at Hodges set up with the chokes and the arm locks. And trying some close guard, it's very similar to Max's, but just a big, much bigger unit. But um, yeah, and Hodges is a good one to look at because um, his close guard is just like ph- phenomenal. Mm. And um, he, he he said something interesting to me as well. You know, he said this guy came up to him in the seminar and said, um, "Oh, Hodger, I have to tell you, I, I love your game. It's so simple." And Hodger said, "Yep." Uh, you mean a fish? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I go, oh, <laughs> it kind of is simple, but it's not a simpleton game. It's like a, it's so efficient in the smaller details that it doesn't seem like much is happening. But if you yeah. go in his clothes, you just want to get out of there as soon as you can. Just tap it get out of there. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that might be another name for your podcast is like efficient, not simple. Well, or efficient and simple, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> you can see that when they confuse between simple and efficiency. Absolutely. Everything Absolutely. we want to be efficient. One's, yeah. offensive. one's offensive and one isn't. <laughs> I don't know whether the guy's being offensive. I think he's just, you know, but Hodge wanted to make sure that he knew that it was efficiency with the word he was looking for. Absolutely. Oh, man, it's been so good having you on the show. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you for doing this, Pete. We'll have this out probably uh, next week or the week after. So if you could share it, that'd be awesome. Okay. All right. Awesome, Kim. You're awesome. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.